proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to convince non-gamers that this really intimidating-looking board game isn't really that complex. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about gaming with non-gamers. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, including the game Face to Face and Atmosphere. Then, we talk about games that are good options when non-gamers will be the ones playing them. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode, and that is that this weekend is Tabletop Live Network Weekend! Woo woo woo! You all know the story now. We've been telling you for literally months. <laughs> Tabletop Live Network is a collaboration between Twitch streamers who play board games, and this weekend is the 24-hour marathon starting at noon Pacific time on Saturday, July 31st, and ending at noon Pacific time on Sunday, August 1st. So we have a nighttime time slot this time, which is a little different for us. We are streaming mm-hmm. from 8 to 10 p.m. Pacific on Saturday night, which I'm very excited about. And our stream is sponsored by Restoration Games, and we will be playing Dinosaur Tea Party with special guests Jess from Chicks Can Game and Joe Sando, which I'm very excited about. So you all tune in on Saturday night to watch us play that. And we will also be participating in the TLN Olympics, which are going on during the event. And if you want to know more about that, well, you just have to tune in and find out. Yep. See you there. Recently, I got a review copy of the game Face to Face, which is a card game that was published, oh, in 2017, but it was like re re new version published recently. Well, so yeah, the original version never got published or never got brought over to... Oh, in the US. uh, Yeah, it was never published in English. Yeah, I think it was never published in English and then it got brought over eventually yeah. or something okay, like okay. that. Because it's all numbers, so it doesn't, even though it's language independent, <laughs> true, it never yeah. got published here. Like, yeah. so, <laughs> I, know, like um, I was saying in English, but just in America, it was not distributed. Yeah, so, so it was distributed and published in America by Pandasaurus Games. And so that's who I got the review copy from. It's designed by Stefan Bendorf and Reinhard Stop. So the game Face to Face is like a spiritual sequel kind of to the game. <laughs> the worst named board game yes, slash card which, game in existence, yeah, which, which we've like, I know I love Pandasaurus and, and the people that make the games that they bring <laughs> over. And I know that they are their, their hands are tied in regarding to naming things, but Oh, somebody renamed the game. It's so bad. And I, it's just like a joke at this point, basically. Yeah. But anyways, the game is a cooperative card game where you're playing cards in order, or not in order, but like sequentially from low to high and high to low, and you're trying to get rid of all the cards in the deck. But the game Face to Face is a two-player competitive card game that has similar mechanics. So in the game Face to Face, each person has a deck from 1 through 60, or 2 through 60 uh, of cards, and then you have two piles that you're playing into on your personal mat, um... One is increasing and one will be decreasing. So you're trying to get rid of all of your cards first. And on your turn, you can either play, you can play, you have to play at least two cards and you can either play on your own piles or play on the other person's pile. And if you play on the other person's pile, you have to make it better. So like if their pile is going down, you have to go up one. So like, or at least one. So like if they're going down from 60 to, and they're down at like 40 or something, they would have to be playing below 40, but you have to play above 40 to improve their pile if you're playing on their pile. Um, and the reason you want to play on their pile is that if you're only playing on your pile, you can only draw two cards 
at the end of your turn but if you play on their pile then you redraw all the way back up to six so like if you play a bunch of cards but they're all just on your piles then you only draw two cards for the next turn and then you have to play two cards and if you can't play then you just lose so um there's some tension there on and like there's a little press your luck on on uh playing cards and trying to make sure that you can still play the next turn yeah <laughs> um, that's for sure <laughs> yeah so Toby and I played this three times. Both of us, we, we like the regular game uh, and we decided that we like the regular game better than this one, the competitive version. So like with the competitive version, it felt more like both games are very dependent on the card draw because like if you get like cards that are all in the middle to start off with, that's not very good. <laughs> and then also if you have cards that are 10 apart from each other, you can jump backwards. That's in both games. But like in a cooperative game, having things dependent on card draw, like that's just the game is, is going against you. But like in a versus game, neither of us like that as much. But then it, and it uh, felt more like a race, a mixture of a race and press your luck because of, of the competitive nature. But you're also not necessarily racing because you're trying to make sure you are able to play. So like in, in our last game, it was like we were both playing kind of like conservatively so that we can still play. And then near the end, it started being a race. So just like play, Toby just went for it and like played all of his cards and then he was able to win. Um, I wouldn't have been able to win anyway because I had terrible cards, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's the game face to face. We, I know you didn't like the game, but uh, we both yes. like the game and we like the game better than the game face-to-face, -face, but you like the game face-to-face -face better than the game. Yes, so Pandasaur, so I played this back at Dice Tower Con in 2019, and then Pandasaurus also sent me a review copy once the American distribution went mm -hmm. out, and then I, I covered this somewhat recently on an episode of Dice Tower tonight as well. But yeah, I, I don't like the game because as you were saying, like, it's very luck dependent. And for me, I think for me personally, it's more frustrating to experience that in a cooperative setting, especially because mm -hmm. I've only played it at like its higher player counts, like with four players. So mm -hmm. then I'm just sitting there staring at my awful cards while everybody else also plays awful cards. And it just like, <laughs> doesn't ever feel good or satisfying. Like even if mm -hmm. I draw well in that game, there are no real moments of joy for me, which mm -hmm. that's a big statement to make, but like, that's kind of the thing that comes. Whereas in the game face to face, there are more fun moments for me personally, like either playing something really good to my own piles or being able to get rid of a card on my opponent's pile that doesn't help them that much. Or, you know, like I know what cards they've played. So like, I could be like, well, this doesn't really help you as much as you think it does. I don't know. For whatever reason, it just resonated with me more. So I, and I like having some like quick two player games in my arsenal. And since this one obviously is a small card game, it's an easy mm -hmm. one to put into uh, a quiver, for instance, and take yeah. with you, which obviously I haven't yeah. done yet because I'm not traveling. Uh, but at some point, it, I will be traveling with my quiver again, and it'll definitely be in there because I really enjoy it. Cool. Yeah. So that's the game face to face. Moving from something very strategic to something entirely ridiculous, I am going to be doing a formal review of Atmosphere, but not <laughs> the VHS version and not the DVD version, the new or new-ish 
app-controlled version of Atmosphere. And for those of you who are not familiar with this game, um, it was published originally, the, the original VHS version was published around 1991, I want to say, and it was released under two different names. It was released under Atmosphere and Nightmare. And Atmosphere is spelled with an F-E-A-R at the end, not like the thing in the sky, Atmosphere. So it's spelled differently. <laughs> and it is a game, it is a roll and move game where you are rolling dice and moving around a board trying to collect keys and then once you get all of the keys you go into the middle of the board and you draw out of this this like cauldron at the beginning of the game everybody writes down their biggest fear and puts them into the cauldron and you have to draw your own worst fear to win the game after you've collected all the keys so for the record at its base this is not a gamer's game this is not a hardcore strategy board game this is a fun activity or like it's something to be taken lightheartedly but it is a thing I love or have loved in the past I played the original VHS version for the first time a few years ago at Dice Tower Con and when I heard that a new app version came out in 2019 I was like well I have to own that so I actually ordered it from UK Amazon interestingly enough that was the only place that I could find it and it was free shipping surprisingly but it took a while to get to me so in the new app controlled version instead of just having a static VHS tape that just plays the same every time obviously the app is dynamic so in uh, the gatekeeper who is who drives the game on the television he is the one that is calling out to you during the course of the game and forcing you to do things he's changing the game as it goes making you say things and do things and lose keys and gain keys and there's a few other well there's a lot of other things he can make you do most of which I'm not going to mention specifically because they're kind of fun to discover when you play the game. Needless to say, this is a horror-themed board game that actually has jump scares in it, and that's not a joke. <laughs> it is the only board game that has ever scared me. Uh, and I'm like, it's just, I think that's neat that this game does that. So because the app is dynamic, it allows for a different experience every single time. Like you're still trying to go around and collect the keys, but that part of the game is also better in this version because in the original game, the keys were made of like basically like cardstock. And once you got them, they just sat in front of you. In this game, the keys are made of plastic and every player has a little key holder that goes in front of them and you slide the keys into it. So only the tops are sticking out. And so the other players can't see what color keys you've collected. And at po to points during the game, you can duel other players to potentially steal a key from them. And there is a cursed key in play that is bad. Mm. You cannot win the game if you get the cursed key. So you're trying to get other players to steal it from you by winning a duel against you. So obviously there's a little bit of luck involved, but there's strategy too. Like our, as we immediately were like, oh, we're going to like shuffle these keys around every time we get a new key. So people won't know <laughs> yeah. what colors we have, which was interesting. Then one of the coolest parts of the game that existed even in its original iteration is the time cards. So the game is on a countdown timer. The original game was 60 minutes. This is actually dynamic time-wise as well. It is randomized how much time you get. And from what I can tell, it goes anywhere from like 35 to maybe like 45 minutes. I'm not 100% certain. I've only run through it a couple of times. But the time cards have specific time codes listed on them. And when that time is displayed on the screen of the television, you do whatever the card says. And that could be any number of things. There's a lot of different options. And that is how some of the jump scares may come into play in the game as well. <laughs> but it basically, it's silly. This is ridiculous. This is 
you could play honestly our topic is about playing with non-gamers you could very easily play mm-hmm. this with non-gamers like if people like silly fun horror themed board games and just like want to do like on a, a halloween party this would be great mm-hmm. and this is there's one aspect of this that i didn't get to try out that i really wanted to but the app there's a couple of issues with the app in that you can you need to cast the app to a television to be able to watch it on a big screen and the app itself does not have any casting ability if that makes sense so like in a lot of apps like youtube there's a little icon that you can click on that will cast it to a television like a smart tv or a smart device whatever okay. the atmosphere app doesn't have that natively so i had to use the airplay or the screen mirroring on my apple phone natively to cast it to a television which was fine but like not all devices have that ability i don't think so that was a little bit weird also multiple phones can connect to the same game that's happening where like other people open the app and also connect to the same game and the the gatekeeper can apparently show up on different devices but we did not figure out a way i know (laughs) we didn't like figure out a way to do that because the app doesn't really sh- like teach you how <laughs> and mm. it was kind of confusing and so we were like we're just gonna play with him on the screen and like just go and that's what we did and it worked fine but I'm very curious to know like if everybody had their phone on and connected to the game like what would happen in those yeah, instances <laughs> but yeah it it's way more dynamic than the original yeah, it, it's it's pretty neat. If you liked the original as a kid or have been interested in it, I would say this is worth picking up. I really enjoy it. But again, you're, you're not getting a, a gamery experience here. You're getting <laughs> silly fun. Yeah, so that's Atmosphere, the 2019 version. Cool. I would say that one lesson that many hobby board gamers learn over time, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Ambie, but I would say one lesson that we learn is not to always force games onto non-gamers or people mm. who are not interested in games. Would, that, would you think that's an accurate statement? Yes, that's a good lesson. Yes, and that we, we, we all had to learn that at some point because we all, when we get excited about the, our hobby that we mm. love, we sometimes, but there are times when you may be tasked with teaching forcing people a game. Go. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, yes, forcing your coworkers <laughs> to do a team building activity, for yeah. instance. Uh, this is a thing that has happened to me multiple times. Once people know you're a board gamer, they will leverage that. And mm-hmm. admittedly, I'm very happy when that happens. But like, sometimes you end up with a room full of people who have no interest in board games and you've been tasked with teaching them a board game. What do you do? <laughs> Wait, so like they're all forced to be there? Because I think when I was um, at work, we had some board games and like people, we actually started having some like team building events with board games and people could sign up and play them. But I think most of the time it was voluntary. (laughs) Well, but okay. But even those voluntary signups, like if it's getting them away from their desk or like normal work stuff, it might be for some people, what they perceive to be the lesser of two evils. Mm-hmm. Like, it not, they may not be enthusiastically participating. That's true. And in some instances, you know, maybe not in yours, but like sometimes your boss is like, you're doing this team building activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That that happened for some things. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you do, Ambi? What do you do when you have to teach a game to theoretically people who don't play games? So uh, some of the games we had... Um, were like code names and we I think we actually had 
we actually sent around a video. <laughs> I don't know if anyone watched it, but you like know. Like a, a how to play video? Yeah. Like in, oh. in the Google invite or like the calendar invite, we, we had a link to like the watch it play video or something. Nice. like here you can watch this before I, mean, I think that's not a bad idea like people can choose not to watch it but like yeah. for people who do care and are interested I think that's like mm-hmm. hey look here's some bonus information yeah but definitely like the choice of game is important it needs to be especially at, with coworkers. it needs to be like a short game that you can learn easily <laughs> because well a lot of times with well it depends how long you have with the team building but like people if if they're not wanting to play games or not used to playing games they're not going to be able to learn like anything super heavy euro or anything so a lot of times with work i would stick with more party games that are things that would be similar to what a lot of people know already so like codenames has similar like people guessing words like that people can understand that yeah there aren't like concepts within that game that are completely unfamiliar it's just the the game mechanisms themselves that you just have to explain how they work. Mm-hmm. I think you made a really good point there that there's like a lot of factors to consider, like not just the skill level of the players involved, but yeah, how much time do you have? And it's often, I I think using the coworker scenario is just easiest, but mm-hmm. technically this could apply to other groups of people as well. But yeah, like you're not going to have potentially a lot of time. So games that I have used in situations like this in the past I used Tom Vassell as inspiration and I created a custom wits and wagers game Mm. for my coworkers. And what I did is in advance of the game, I emailed all of them like a few questions, like random stuff, like what's your favorite TV show? You know, what's your favorite color? And like used those answers as inspiration for Google searches that like got me some numerical things to put into a game of wits and wagers. And then I said specifically like this question was inspired by Connie and you know, like, (laughs) yeah. So that way, like, even if the people theoretically weren't interested in the game itself, they already kind of felt a little bit invested because there was a piece of their interest Mm -hmm. in integrated into the game. And I think you could do that in other games too. Like you could play something like wavelength and set some custom scales they like oh, or you could like I, if you're with co-workers it could be like use um you know buzzwords from like from, from work corporate oh, culture is it yeah is this <laughs> you know is this uh um let's take this offline or is it uh you know like you know what i'm saying yeah like you can customize things to make them a little bit more like approachable or unique or like make them resonate with people Mm-hmm. But I've also played more gamery things with coworkers. I actually taught a group of coworkers One Night Ultimate Werewolf uh, mm-hmm. a number of years ago because even though that game can become very complex depending on what roles are involved, the basic rules are not that hard to pick up and the game only lasts 10 minutes. So yeah. it, even short if games. somebody's miserable, it's short. <laughs> like yeah. short, short games are good. <laughs> and I actually had a lot of success with that one. People were very mm-hmm. confused when I was first explaining it because they had no knowledge about social deduction games. And I kind of had to like really be like, no, it's going to be okay. It's going to be good. You're going to be fine. And then we played and they were like, oh, we want to play again. And we ended up playing like three or four times and they really liked it. Yeah, I've also had good um, experience with social deduction games, short ones. Like, also, I think we played Insider once, which is the 20 questions, but with a traitor kind of. um, I think social deduction can be hit or miss, though, because sometimes people don't like the whole hidden 
role thing. Yeah, so. I think it's, it becomes especially uncomfortable for some people if they are forced to lie. That is yeah. a thing that not everybody can do. Like, it's not within their skill set. Um, mm-hmm. So def- there are social deduction games, though, where it's easier or you don't have to do, like, overt uh, lying. Yeah. You said insider, insider's, insider's not as bad. Yeah. A fake artist goes to New York is kind mm-hmm. of the same way. You just have to draw. So it's, yeah. like, not <laughs> like, as much just, pressure I'm as some others. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for me, also... In addition to party games and stuff, I I found that cooperative games are good for non-gamers because sometimes non-game like it also depends on why they don't usually play games. But if they get stressed about competing and trying to do well, then a cooperative game would be good because then they don't have to worry about competing and we're all just working together. So that could be less stressful. Absolutely. And especially if the, if the activity is intended to be a team building activity, oh, yes. <laughs> then a cooperative game or a team based game, yeah, team games, something yeah. like code names is great for mm-hmm. that because you're building camaraderie. And yeah. so that serves that purpose really well. They also help with rules. Like not everyone has to know the rules perfectly to play because <laughs> yes. if you're on a team, then you would be like, Oh, how did this work? And you're working together. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's a great example. Yeah. Like I think word slam would be a mm. brilliant team building activity because technically mm-hmm. you only need, you really only need two people that actually understand what's going on <laughs> and they can be the people on the end yeah. on the separate sides of the table and everybody else. It's just like, Hey, look at those cards and try and guess what they're trying to get you to guess. That's yeah. it. Like, I guess a lot of those uh, team guessing games like concept. Yeah. Cause word slam concept, other games like that. Similar. For sure. I, well, and concept is great because, like, in the rule book, it actually says that, like, hey, while we were developing this game, we actually abandoned the point system we created, and we just kind of play this as an activity. And there mm-hmm. are other board games that are similar. Like, we're, like I've never played concept and kept score. Not yeah, once, ever. I actually just played concept a few days ago when my friends came over to game because one of my friends was like, oh, yeah, I've never played concept before. And I was like, wait, really? I was like, That's, <laughs> you, I think you would like this. And so we played and she liked it. But, yeah, I think games that feel like an activity, kind of to your point about cooperative games, there's less pressure mm-hmm. in some of those. Concept can be a little bit stressful if you're the one giving clues and you're just, like, mm-hmm. putting the little... Yeah pieces out and nobody's getting it but like that sucks especially if the group is vibing really hard and guessing most things and then you get to one where it's just super difficult and people aren't getting it telestrations is another good one that's just an activity basically like i think is there a way to score telestrations probably i don't know what it is because i've never scored it i think there is but i just don't care like telestrations (laughs) is about looking at the how ridiculously (laughs) <laughs> things does devolve from a word to a picture to a word to a picture. Yeah, we actually played that at work. Well, we played the um, public domain version, Eat Poop You Cat, yeah. So that one, we just make up sentences or things at the beginning. And then a lot of my coworkers just had some pictures hung up on their bulletin boards from various games of it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Another way that you can potentially get people interested, and this, this can go outside of like work or team building, but just like you're trying to get people who aren't as interested in games interested in them is by utilizing the theme of the game. Finding a theme that you think somebody will mm-hmm. be interested in and drawing them yeah. in with that. Like, oh, you're a, a DJ? Well, this game, Rap Gods, is literally about, like, starting your rap career and, like, yeah. you have beef with other rappers and, like, the just the description of a game like Rap Gods where the theme is so baked in, like, that mm-hmm. can draw people in alone. Yeah, like, they don't definitely. care 
what the mechanics are, what you have to do in the game. They're just like, I'm interested in whatever this is. And I would say over the past like five to 10 years, especially, and but you know, more so every passing year, we're seeing more and more games with interesting and dynamic themes that will interest people even who aren't interested in the original thing. Like I have never had aspirations to be a professional rapper, but like that theme, I was instantly like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I want in. I don't, I want to play that game because it just sounds so different. And especially for mm-hmm. people who grew up with Monopoly Scrabble and, you know, all of the kind of classic board games, this is going to be so left field that they might just be like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know what that is, but it sounds interesting to me. Yeah. That reminds me, I, Toby and I recently got Formosa Tea, which we haven't played yet, but it's a Taiwanese game about making tea. And his parents are from Taiwan and they don't play games. Um, they don't like board games, but like they, we, we showed them the game that it was from Taiwan. They're like, when are we playing? <laughs> oh, like, what? That's awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure if they actually want to play, but they're like, they, they're more interested in it because it's, it's about Taiwanese tea. <laughs> and this is one of many reasons why board game designers should stop creating generic farming <laughs> games like building buildings and harvesting crops and wh- whatever like it, it's been done we want more come on we want more we want i'm still gonna more. play some of those games Woo! <laughs> 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 we got we got song stuff in the middle of the episode that's that's rare y'all that was a special moment i hope you recognize oh speaking of songs i am going to completely off track our discussion right now because if you all if you're listening to this podcast you must know but just in case there is someone who only listens to our podcast and does nothing else regarding our content you should know that ambi is an incredibly skilled lyricist and singer who creates song parodies that are about board games. And she just released, on the day that we're recording this, but a few days before you will be hearing it, uh, her 100th song parody. And she's like blushing right now, and I don't care. Like, I can, you, I know y'all can't see her because, you know, the internet. But like, she is so ridiculously talented. And the thing that she has created, y'all go to the Ambi Rona YouTube channel, which Ambi is going to link in the show notes a link to this video specifically and go watch the board game tango video because you will not be disappointed. <laughs> All right. I'll link that. In just... <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't let Ambie try and be humble about this. Cause it's really, 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 really good. And yeah, y'all will love it. So, so I think the important thing to note, especially if this is something new to you, like you haven't introduced games to like a group of people who, you know, you're going to be kind of the sole gamer in the group. If that's ever happening to you, just be thoughtful about it. Like consider the amount of time that you have, the interest level of the participants. Like is everybody excited to play a game or are they just there because they have to be there? And, you know, use that information to try and create an experience that will not only be fun in the moment, but will show people, you know, why you love board games. Because really, I think that's why we tend to play games and introduce them to other people is because Mm -hmm. it's not like we're not necessarily trying to draw them into the hobby, although we kind of are. But like, (laughs) it's just to show them like the board games are this thing that exists in a way that most people don't maybe recognize quite yet. And uh, spreading the love of a thing that you love is just fun to do. Yeah. Oh, and I just thought of something else. Like, 
some people might not want to play and it so some games that might be good are games that are fun to watch too or like games that you can hop in and out so games like charades or something like that or monikers you can hop in and out or you watch people play it and it's fun to watch too and then like maybe they'll watch it some and then maybe they'll want to play for a little bit so yeah like you don't have like they don't have to play if they don't want to <laughs> yeah. Don't and that's that's a good point. Like obviously if you you know if your boss is forcing everybody to do a thing, that's yeah. one thing. But like that us be that thing aside, don't force people to play mm-hmm. games because they're not going to enjoy it if they aren't coming to it at least a little bit on their own. Mm-hmm. And that's it for this week's board game blitz. Visit our website boardgameblitz.com for video and blog content as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Imagine this, a worker placement game with unique engine building that players must awaken angels to fight off demons. Intrigued? Well, EOS Island of Angels is coming to Kickstarter soon, so stay tuned. And if you want to get some Grey Fox games at a discount, use the code BGBLIFT21 at checkout to get 20% off non-exclusive items on their website. Grey Fox Games. Quality games, cleverly crafted. Join the Blitzkid Here community on Discord by following the link in the show notes. You can support the show by leaving us a rating and review on your podcast provider. And if you want behind-the-scenes access and an invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mount. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, when we played, I studied every game. Rules are so hard to retain. Let's just pick one, please, because these are all great board games. Bye, everyone. Bye. dynamic oh good someone's ringing my doorbell (laughs) it's ups it's ups it's fine everything's fine oh god it's just okay i was gonna say open source version but it's like not open source that's a program (laughs) what's it called it's just fun to say public domain okay so